This guy right here with little buddy. Boop. All right, dapping them off. Don't we just love to have children around here? And that's why, by the way, this community center is going to be so amazing. You know, it just was such a blessing. If you didn't watch the video, it's on our Metro Praise Facebook, so check it out. The long story short is we've always been in a waiting place for that next step, and we've been wanting like this corner store that's right here next to us that's also owned by the landlord, but that's his business, and there's just been a lot of like holdup with that. So we bless his business. We don't want to curse it. We don't want it to die so we can have it, you know. So it just never worked out, but he has other property. And when it opened up, they went to other places, and it just didn't feel right, you know, different companies that they knew, and uh, they thought about us, and the deal that we are getting is absolutely amazing, and that's why we as a church have done well to save, you know, in the time of plenty. We've done, we've done perfect. I mean, God has blessed us. Let's give it up for Jesus during this time of, of uh, provision. So during the COVID and all of that, church has been blessed, and we have money and savings. So when this happened, we were ready. We didn't have to take up a second or third offering today. We still want you to give to help towards dollars. We try to keep one project in front of you at any given time. The last project was for the building. We completed that, and then now we're helping Dallas. And thank God that we have more than enough to go into this property debt-free and to start renovating it. And our goal is to have it ready by December. But here's the sad but good part. The sad part it is it was like a, a senior center, and they had put already $300,000 worth of work in it. And it's sad for them because seniors couldn't meet together anymore in the center. But it's good for us because we're meeting and we're going to go meet there. Thank you very much. You guys put all the floors in. <laughs> it's like, do we clap or do we cry? I don't know. Some of you are seniors and you told me you visited there. God bless you. We bless them. We want the best for them, obviously. But they just put in about 30000 of floors, $30,000 worth of floors. We're like, amen. They did the, the, the ceilings. It's amazing. So all we have to do right now is put in a, maybe ten, fifteen thousand, $15,000, and we'll go from there. And then we're going to do a great work in the community. I want to talk to you from Psalm chapter 2. So open up, please, as we leave the title up. Go to Psalm chapter 2 in your Bible, and we're going to keep that title up there today because I want to talk about rage, plots, and laughter. Everybody do this laugh with me. <laughs> Come on, do it again. <laughs> We're going to talk about who's laughing in the Bible and who's getting laughed at in just a few moments. But obviously this past week we had an election, and it was just as crazy as everything else in 2020. And so we as Christians, we've got to be involved in these kinds of things so that we can make a difference and stay involved in the processes. So here's how I would look at it. We started off the year. These are just the stats and facts. There's a lot of people that believe different things, and then it gets into what some call conspiracy, and they go back and forth and argue over it. What I like to present from the, the pulpit is thing, are things that are undisputed among both sides or three sides, however many people have sides on this. I like to bring out the undisputed facts. The undisputed fact is early in the year, something around the damage of a flu, a little bit worse for the elderly than a flu, not so bad as the flu for the children, shut down our entire economy and claim some people's lives. And it's a serious thing. How many know the flu is a serious thing? We lost a dear saint from the flu last year, just out the middle of nowhere, just boom, passed away, and they're still taking a look at that to figure out what, what the cause was. And oftentimes, elderly people die of ILI, influenza-like illnesses. But what happened during that time, I don't think was with good motives. The country shut down, and over 20 million people now are unemployed. I think that's a terrible thing that happened out of something that was bad that could have been handled different. The next thing that happened is that we were convinced as a culture, as a whole, that we live in the most racist society on the planet. We were convinced of that even though we have more nations here represented in the United States of America living together happily as neighbors than in any other place in the whole world. You can look at those who are in politics, those who are in business, from all the different nations of the world coexisting and getting along, and then all of a sudden because of an injustice, and I do believe that it was an injustice with George Floyd, we were made to think that we had to burn and tear down our own cities and hand over all that we've built over these years to socialists. 
So is it any surprise that when it came to the election that it doesn't get better, it just keeps getting worse? No, because this is an election year. If you ask my personal opinion, I think those other things were all about this thing. That if it was an election year, that if there was another person as a president, that these kinds of things would not have been these issues. I liked it as one person said, how was Christopher Columbus an acceptable statue during the eight years of President Obama? How was that an acceptable statue? But now Christopher Columbus needs to be torn down, tear it down now. You know, how, how were the police coexisting during just that time of Obama? You know, how was this happening? Now we got this, you know, disband the entire police, defund them. You know, how, how did it get to be that level of crazy? I believe it's because of an election year. And here's the last thing that I believe. This is undisputed. President Trump won the election, election nine. Undisputed. Everybody agrees. The election was won. The votes were in. The tallies were there. If we would have shut down the election, it would have been over. Trump would have won. But yet now, because of all of these other crazy things, you can stand in line and get weed at the weed dispensary, but for some reason you couldn't vote. But all of a sudden, all of these votes that came in after the election just happened to all be for Biden. See, that's suspect to me. Now, that to me, it makes me wonder, is this a part of or the foundation of all the issues that came before? Now, that's what I believe. That's up to you what you believe, but I just want to let you know I'm staying involved in these things because this is important to our nation. Now, to speak to the prophets in the house and to those that we respect across the nation that said, thus says the Lord, Trump will be president. There are two things I would like to mention about this. Number one, it's not over yet. So before we get all upset and call them false prophets, let's give it time because Trump says before he will concede, he wants to try to fight it in the court because this is unheard of. And I would just love for all of those contested states that changed after election day from red to blue, I would like for them all to vote again and let's see the outcomes. An election day an election day in those states, and you got to show up to get it. If not, you have a good reason, right? So we still believe that people who cannot make it to a poll should vote, but you have to have a good reason. Everybody else, you better be there. We're not playing that. I think that would be over. So let's give this word some time, because wouldn't it just be like God for him to turn it around, just like it happened with Bush and Gore? That would be something, okay? So that's the first thing. But then here's the second thing. What if he loses and Biden becomes president. How do we deal with a, a prophet that has said that Trump would be president? And this is the kind of church that we are, that we always want to give grace and space to the prophets. I feel that oftentimes the prophets get picked on uh, if they're wrong, but the pastor gets a freebie if he's wrong. Now listen, there are five-fold ministry gifts in the church. Pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, apostle. Okay, and I said them out of order. Let me say them in order. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now some people say, well, if the prophet gets it wrong, you have to stone them. That's what it says in the Old Testament. It also says you have to stone rebellious teenagers. You want to take Timmy out back and stone him right now? So... We're not living by the Old Testament who's getting stoned. And then, like I said, has the teacher ever taught something wrong? Well, do we cast them out the church? No, they, they have to learn how to teach better. Has the pastor given bad advice at times? Yes, we can all say amen to that. Does that mean they stop pastoring? So I would say, can a prophet be wrong and still be a good Christian learning to hear from God? Yes. So this is the way I would encourage a prophet. Number one, if this, say, three months, six months is over, and Trump is not president, and you really thought you heard a word from God. This is what I would ask you to do. And this is how I support my friends who are in ministry with large ministries that, that have said Trump, uh, that God told them Trump would be president, is number one, see if there was a condition attached to that prophecy. Did God tell you if we do X, Y, and Z, then Trump would be president. And maybe you skipped over that and kept going to Trump being president, but didn't put in the condition because God gives a lot of prophetic promises by conditions. So I would ask the prophetic people to do that. And just in your heart, if there were no conditions attached to it and you just thought that the Lord had said to you Trump would be president and you're not trying to look for a condition, you thought this was pretty, pretty straightforward. And that meant that if we could see in a time capsule 2022, Trump would be president regardless of all of this 
mess because we don't want to say God changes his mind during a mess because God would know when he gave you that word what it would look like in 2022. Are you guys listening to me? Don't want to be shady. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, don't be shady. I mean, that's not, I mean, we're already looked at like we're crazy. Let's not be shady now. Then just say, I miss God. Say, I miss God. Say, you know, maybe I thought I heard this. I wanted this. I prayed about this. I believe this was God's best. And that's what I felt. And, and I went for it and I was wrong. And it's okay because I do that all the time as a pastor. Teachers do it all the time. Like I said, evangelists do it all the time. And we need to give grace and space to our prophets to be able to say they're wrong. But then I would say, this, this is what I would say to people who mock us and say, well, what about all you prophets who said that you're wrong? But what about when they prophesied four years ago, some of them prophesied that Trump would be president before he was even the forerunner, and he, they, some of them, like Lance Walnew, wrote a book about it. So this is what I don't like is the double standard. When we in the church get it right, you say, that was just a good guess. When we get it wrong, we're stupid and have to be drugged through the mud. Right, So if we get it wrong, we admit like anybody else, we see through a glass dimly, you know, if we get it wrong. But if we get it right consistently, and prophets should be getting it right consistently, you can trust that God is speaking. Amen? But let's pray for our nation one more time and ask for these lies to be exposed. And my prayer would be a re-vote and have uh, either the, not those votes count and it shuts down at election night or they're a re-vote. That's what I'm going to pray for. And if you don't want to agree with that prayer, you can just pray for, uh, pray for me. Amen, as I pray. Father, so as your pastor's praying, you can just pray for me. Lord, help him stop talking about, talking about politics so the devil can have it again. No, 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 don't, don't pray that. Pray that my family will be blessed, at least if you don't agree. But those who agree, let's pray. Father. We ask you to expose the lies, to let justice prevail, and let whatever is done in darkness come to light. And Lord, we believe that this is not over yet and that there is still work to be done with the President Trump presidency over this nation so that we can have the time and the ability to have freedom and not to be run over by those who do not want Israel, do not want Christians, and do not want this nation to prosper. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Like I said, if you couldn't say amen to that, you just pray for my family to be blessed, right? All right, let's go to Psalm chapter 2, rage, plots, and what? Laughter. <laughs> Come on, do it with me. <laughs> I'm laughing. Let's see who's laughing here in the Bible. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. If you knew this was where I was going today, you're pretty smart because I put it up on Facebook and some people put under the chat, they're like, man, he must be talking about Psalm chapter 2 today. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven does what? Laughs. <laughs> we found out God is laughing, isn't he? The one enthroned in heaven laughs and scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. That's what God says. Verse 7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, ye kings, be wise. Be warned, ye rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he'll be angry. And lead your way, or your way will lead you to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Can I hear an amen? Amen, if you believe that. Let's scroll up to verse 1 before we make it applicable to our life. Love to teach the word around here. The psalmist is talking about our holy and anointed Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is a prophecy by David as a king speaking thousand plus years into the future about Jesus Christ and his coming to the earth. David is the one that was the first real blessed king of Israel. 
from David, there are promises that by his seed or through his lineage, the Messiah will come and rule and reign and be like David, but even greater than David. So David himself is talking about Jesus here, but he's giving us the understanding that this could apply even to the line of his kings. So in other words, this could be a coronation hymn, because songs, uh, psalms are songs. That's how they were written, was to be sung. This would be something sung when kings were coronated to lead and to rule. And it wasn't for them to try to say, ta-da, here I am, I'm the Messiah. But what it's basically saying here is that we are preparing the way for the Messiah. And then at some point, one king will be called actually the Son of God uniquely because all of those born again are in relationship with God are his children. But will be the singular unique son, the singular unique king from whom all nations will be given to. All nations will be given, not just Israel, but all nations will be given to this Davidic ruling king. How many believe that is Jesus? Amen. Now remember the word Christ is not his last name, Jesus Christ. And it's not a swear word, right? It's not a swear word. If you're going to take any name in vain, take uh, Hitler's name in vain. So next time you hit your finger, say, oh, Hitler. Only say Jesus Christ if you're praying. Amen? Okay, just say another name that, that is somebody who's died and is wicked, but don't say the name of Jesus Christ. But Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title, Christos in the Greek, which means the anointed one, coming from the Hebrew word Mashiach. That's that Hebrew word right here. But what are they doing against not only the earthly kings, but against the one king, Jesus Christ, the nations, not, not singular, not just one, but plural, they are raging. They are angry, and they are plotting against the things of God. Do you see plotting happening in our nation? Do you see anger in our nation? Yes, and mostly it's against the things of God. When you meet a person that's from the LGBTQ community and you say that you're a Christian and that you believe marriage is between one man and one woman, do they normally get happy, slap you high five, and say, I'm glad that's what you believe? No, they normally get upset, don't they? And if they could let their rage out, they're going to get angry with you. That, that means if you go to the gay pride parades that happen down there in boys' towns, as we have done, they do not treat us with respect when we teach them what the Bible says about their lifestyle. They are raging against God. If you go down to the business district of the city and you say to these business folks right here that your corruption is going to lead you to hell, that your unfair wages, that what you're doing is going to be judged by God and the very wealth that you have made will become like a cancer to your soul that will tear you up for eternity. Do they say back to you, thanks for telling me that? No, they curse you out. They don't want to be called out on their greed. They don't want to be called out on their issues. So the world is raging against God, is it not? The world is raging against God, and they're plotting against him. They're saying, well, if we get politicians to agree with us, or if we get you know, a certain amount of society to agree with us, then that must mean God will agree with us. So you talk to them about the abortion issue, and you say, abortion is sin. And what do they do? They tell you the plot. The plot is this. We've got it lawful in the land. Roe v. Wade, we're in the right. We have cast off the shekels, the chains the shackles, rather, of God. But have they really? No, the Bible says he sits in heaven and laughs. Here David is looking at all that is going on in the world at all the plans at that time, you know, the Egyptians are making, the Babylonians are making, the Greeks and all of these, these, these kingdoms are making against God. And he says, you know what? The best you do is make our God laugh. That's the best you do. You make him laugh. But down here on earth, what does it do to us? It makes us cry. It makes us cry when we see the pain that they're causing to the planet, doesn't it? It doesn't mean God hasn't cried. He has when he came to earth and he walked among us. But now he's sitting in heaven going, you can't stop this. I have a king, and he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And I know oftentimes we think Jesus is coming down with his little pouty lip. 
little tear coming down his eye, and he's got a sword, and he's coming down. He's going, well, I just have to do it. My father said I had to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it anymore, Father. Just bring me back to heaven. These are nice people down here. Seriously, that's what we think about Jesus. He's pouting. He's got a tear coming down his eye. No, somebody has to do it. I'll judge. No, the Bible says he's coming down as a conqueror, riding the horse. The blood is splattered on his vestal, and he is, his words are the sword of the word, and it's coming out and cutting his enemies down, and he's saying, I am king. This is my earth. This is my people. I will rule and reign. And the Bible says he dashes them to pieces. Now, I know for us, that's gross, man. It's bloody. It's a mess. But how many of us have watched a good movie and you've watched the bad guy just go on and on and on and they're you know, killing the innocent, they're destroying the towns or villages and they're hurting people and by the time the good guy finally comes or the good woman finally comes and defeats the enemy, how many of you are happy? You don't feel sorry for the one getting stepped on anymore, that, that, that bad villain as the conqueror steps on his head, takes back you know, the kingdom. We all rejoice in those times, don't we? This is the real victory, the victory of Christ over the earth. But it's spiritual first, isn't it? That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, against these uh, demonic powers that are coming against us and using flesh and blood. And so I know God is laughing at the plans that the world is making against his kingdom, but I'm grieving right now and weeping and interceding because I don't want to see my friends and neighbors stomped on as God's wrath comes upon them. Are you with me today? You're looking at the judgment of God and you're feeling compassion. Even though he's rebuking them and correcting them, you still want something good to happen. Go on down to verse 7. Why? Because it says in verse 7 that he's promised us the nations when we ask them for him. He said, ask of me the nations, and I will give them to you as an inheritance. Brothers, can you scroll down for me, please? I will give you the nations. He says, you're my son. And then in verse 8, he says, ask me for the nations. How many know right now we live in a time where all the nations are with us in this world, uh, in the world or in this nation right now? My next door's neighbors are from India. In most of India, it's either illegal to preach the gospel or you are heavily persecuted when you preach it because of Hindu extremism. But I can preach the gospel to my Hindu neighbors right now. How many know in places like Morocco, Egypt, you know, uh, Iraq and Iran and Sudan and these Muslim-run nations that it's illegal to preach the gospel? But how many know we have neighbors and friends and co-workers that are part of these nations? We have a large Ethiopian uh, uh, immigration that came here as well. These kind of nations have suffered under different rulerships where our Christian faith is still persecuted, but you and I are right here able to speak and preach to them. Does God want to crush Ethiopia? No, he doesn't want to crush Ethiopia. God wants to save Ethiopia. But right now, Ethiopia is a tough place to reach, but we can reach them right here. Does God want to crush Iraq and Iran and these different nations that have things against God because of Islam or Saudi Arabia and these places? No, God wants them to be saved. But they're making it difficult for the gospel to be there. So we have to be here to preach to them. And listen, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I don't want to preach to the Muslim neighbor. I don't want to preach to the Hindu neighbor. I don't want to see my, my LGBT friend get saved. I got a book for you to read this week. It's called the book of Jonah. You need to read the book of Jonah. And then put yourself right there in the story. God came to me and asked me to preach to all my Democratic friends. And I said, Lord, no, I don't want to preach to them right now. They're already gloating. I don't have anything good to say to them. I'm going to go on a cruise, Jesus. I'm going to go fishing. Oh, go preach to this person. Go preach to that nation. No, I don't like this nation. I don't like what they stand for. I'm going to go on carnival cruise ship. Isn't that just what Jonah did? I want you, Jonah, to go preach to the Ninevites, your number one enemies. Those who have done you wrong in the past, Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. And he's like, what do you want me to preach, God, that they're all going to die and I can just watch it happen? No, I want you to preach to them. And here's a, here's a provisional prophetic promise that if they do repent, I won't judge them. And then he takes off. 
And then he gets in trouble on the ship, and they throw him overboard, and he gets eaten by the big fish there in the belly of that big fish in the, in the fish's digestive system. What does he do? He repents, and he comes out from the puke of the big fish. Come on, I'm just making it plain today. And then he starts preaching. And we should just end the story right there. Good job, Jonah, you did it. We're so proud of you. It took a whole lot, but you did it, Jonah. But does the story end there? No, because you can, you can see by the attitude he has at the end, it's almost like while he's walking around, he's like, hey, guys, if you repent, God won't judge you. Uh, you know, just repent, and God won't judge you anyways. I got to say it. I got to tell somebody. I, did I tell you yet? Okay, listen, if you repent, God, God won't judge you. Okay, I got to go, guys. Because it says that after he preached to them, and it must not have been very inspirational from his heart because it, it didn't change his attitude because after he preached, he sits there, and he's wanting to watch them be judged. He's just watching afar off. I can't wait for Biden to catch his heart attack right now. I'm going to watch him die right now. This is what is going to happen. I want to watch them all get struck down. I want to watch everybody die right now. I'm just sitting watching. When are you going to kill him, Jesus? And then while he's sitting there, the gourd grows over him, and it gives him shade. But then the next day it dies, and he's upset because he's getting sunburned. And then God checks his heart and says, you care more about a gourd than you do about people. These people are precious to me. He says, I care for them, and I care for their animals because they're good to eat, amen? But he cares for the animals. He said, I care for the people. I care for the animals. And Jonah, your heart is not right. And so we got to check our hearts today. It doesn't mean we don't preach a, a message of repentance to the nations. We don't go to the nations and say, well, let's make a buffet of religion. Okay, you got Krishna, I got Christ. Let's put it together Okay, you've got Buddha, I've got Jesus, let's put it together. No, we go to the nations and we warn them and we tell them that God is going to judge them. But before he judges them, he wants to save them. But if they don't get saved and brought in, they still are going to be under his kingdom rulership. Amen? Because ultimately, people can do all the, the chess game you know, tactics here and plot and do all the little secret moves here for a time. But in the end, Jesus is going to come and rule and reign, and everyone will be in his kingdom. Amen? And that's why it says, look at the hope that's found here in verse, 20, uh, verse 10. It says, therefore, you kings... You, you people in these parties who, who forward abortion and perversion, you corrupt leaders, you entertainment stars who are perverted, all of you fake religious leaders, be warned. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and trembling. Kiss or worship his son, lest he be angry and destroy you. Because, yes, God's anger can come in a moment. But blessed are all those who take refuge in him. If you go back to the middle here, I just want to apply it a little bit more to our cultural context. Now that you understand what's going on, David is looking at a wicked world that's trying to throw off the things of God. And he's saying, it's not going to work. God's just laughing at you trying to do that. But you have a chance. You have a chance. Do it now. But if you look at verse 3, I think that's the pivotal point, and that's where we're at right now as a nation, because people who don't want to serve God say, let's break their chains, throw off their shackles. Who are they talking to? They're talking to God. What, what, what in the Bible does it, where in the Bible does it say that God put us in chains? Where does it say in the Bible that God shackled us? It doesn't, but why do they see it that way? Because they see the commands of God as a burden. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. How many believe the commands of God are a blessing? Amen. Somebody say, I'm blessed by the commands of God. Amen. You're blessed by the best, but somebody say, I'm blessed by the commands of God. That's the problem when I got too many one-liners. You thought you knew where I was going, didn't you? We are blessed by the best to keep the commands of God, forget the rest. Here we go. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. Somebody say, this is love for God. Thank you. To keep His commands. And His commands are not what? Burdensome. Thank you for everyone born of God overcomes the world. The world is saying, let's throw off the commands of God for marriage. Let's just shack up, live together. How's that working out? Broken families, having children outside of wedlock, 
The ones you don't want, people are aborting. The ones they keep raised up in single-family homes, broken. It's not that they need to break off the chains of God. They need to be broke free from the chains of sin. Do you get it? The devil has them convinced that the, ch- that the chains around their neck and around their lives come from God, when in a matter of fact, those are the chains of their sin. Sin is a wicked, evil taskmaster. Would you go back to the passage, please? When we see what they're doing, it's actually to their own destruction. How many of you, before you came to Christ, let's be honest, looked at the commands of God as chains and shackles? You mean I really have to tell the truth? I don't want to do that. I feel so chained up right now. I don't want to obey my mom and dad. Who does that? That is a chain around my neck. After all, they feed me and love me and give me a place to stay. But I'm so much smarter than them. So hard to respect them. You know your parents could kill you at any time, right? You know they could poison you and you wouldn't even know it. They could take you out in your sleep. You ought to respect them. Amen? Praise God. Our parents love us. They care for us. And God says, respect them. And the teens are like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, the same thing. Oh, don't look at pornography. Oh, but I love pornography. It makes me so much more socially adequate with women. No, it doesn't. It ruins every relationship you'll ever have. Makes you think good sex is weird sex. You don't need weird sex to have good sex. My wife and I have been having great sex for many, many years, and we have never read the shades of gray. Are you listening to me? Because sex is not just what you do. Making love is not just what you do in the bedroom. It's what you do in the kitchen. It's what you do when you're raising your kids together. It's how you love each other. Because no matter how good sex is, it only lasts so long. Amen? You still got to get up and look at each other. You still got to work together. Are you listening? And so the world is telling you, oh, the reason why your sex life is not good is because it's not weird enough. And that God is just trying to chain you down. You need to open up your marriage. You need to experiment with these weird things. And God is saying, no, this is how it's meant to be. Two coming together in one flesh, one heart, one spirit, joined to the things of God, sharing their emotions and their life together. But people in our society look at that as a chain. What? One person for the rest of my life? That's a chain. You know, keeping the laws of God, that's a chain. Sometimes you have to lie, they say. Sometimes you have to steal. Sometimes you need to disobey your parents. Sometimes you have to break God's commands. But that's a devil's lie, isn't it? Now that you're a Christian, those of you who used to look at the commands of God as chains, now that you're a Christian, how many know they are the best thing in your life today? How many know those commands keep you from crazy you? Those commands keep you from crazy you. Listen, because you and I are crazy without those commands. Thou shalt not murder means something now when you're in traffic, doesn't it? I'm telling you the truth. Sunday morning stroll on the way to church. This guy laid his horn on me, came up next to me and mean mugged me. And I'm thinking I'm about ready to get this on. I am so serious. I am tempted. I'm literally, this is not even for jokes. This is for realsies. I'm thinking to myself, I'm about ready to bust a U because I know where he turned and I want to roll down my window and be like, what's your problem, dude? And then you know what he's going to say. He's going to say, it's your driving. Want to do something about it? And I'm like, I'm glad you asked. Let's go right now. And my daughter's in the car because, you know, come on, how many know the flesh is stupid? The flesh doesn't think you got your daughter in the car and you're on your way to church. You shouldn't do this. No, that's not what my flesh says. My flesh says, it's on right now, Jack. Just look at me one more time. Tell me you want something because I got what you need right now. And you, But your flesh is stupid and you need that command. I need that command. That command blesses me. That command helps me make it through another day. Are you listening? Those commands are blessings to our life. Listen, and all of us acting like we could be happy with somebody else. No, that, that's not the problem is that somebody else in a relationship, that's why you go from one to the other to the other. The problem isn't them. It is you. The Bible telling you to stick together in marriage is for you so you don't drive yourself crazy trying to find your love in another person's bed. Are you listening? We need these commands. These commands free our soul. 
Because in the freedom from anger today, I got to worship and really focus on what was more important, not asking my wife to bail me out of jail. Honey, don't ask what it was for, but I need you to meet me here at police station 106 on diversity and whatever. You know what I'm saying? I don't want that in my life. What I know I need in my life is I needed to go to church. I needed to hang out with you guys. And so we need to have the commands of God. But sadly today, people in the church, they don't want it. I'll be honest with you. Many, 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 many people, I can't say all, but I have to say many don't want it because they look at the commands of God just the way the world does. And now getting a little bit older, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of it, to be honest with you. This year has not only been the exposing of, of crooked things in politics, but it's been the exposing of things in the ministry as well. There was one a preacher that just got exposed for having an adulterous affair. He got fired. If you want to listen to all the juicy details, then go to underground page, uh, underground church page, and you can see it there. And I don't do it to gossip, but I do it to expose the church to what's going on behind the scenes. Your favorite conference speaker may not be living for Jesus. Your favorite worship leader may not be right with their wife or their spouse. And the problem is, is we're putting up with it because it makes us feel good in the moment. And so it's almost like we're making a deal with them. Hey, man, I'm not going to expect much out of you. Just make sure when I come to this worship conference, I feel okay. So don't talk about my sin, and I'm not going to expect you to live holy. Let's make an agreement together. And that's exactly what the Bible says the false prophets did with the people of Israel. Look, I'm not going to convict you of your sin. Don't convict me of my sin, and let's just keep doing this thing together. And so anyways, you know, I put up a post like this, and then people look at me, and they're like, man, you're just jelly. You're jelly of this person. You're jealous of this person. You know, and that could be true. Like, there is some jealousy in the ministry, but my heart is not for that. My heart is to guard the body of Christ, but those of us as watchmen and women, if you can relate to this, say amen. We're getting judged by people who tell us to stop judging, and we're trying to help you. We're trying to help you because a lot that glitters is not gold right now in the church, and it always starts off the same way. And I want to be careful because I know some people came from bad church backgrounds where they were church hurt, but I'm telling you, this is a, a thing that I'm seeing, and it's not legitimate church hurt. It's really just butt hurt. You can be butt hurt and had a good thing happen to you. Are you listening to me? Sometimes my kids are butt hurt, and that's a good thing. So if they came to you and said, and said my butt hurts, and you would ask them, why does your butt hurt. My dad spanked me. You should say, that's a good thing. Are the bruises still there? No. I mean, are, you know, no bruising to begin with. You know what I'm saying? Are the marks still there, I should say? Don't want to go to jail today for that. Are the marks still there? No. Did you bleed? No. Are you still breathing? Yes. Thank God your butt hurts then. How many know butt hurts a good thing every now and then? But there's a difference between butt hurt and like real hurt. You know what I'm saying? And, and please, if you ever see my children abuse, help them, okay? Help them if I have lost my mind. It's good that I go to jail because we want all of these children to live, okay? But, but this idea, it always comes across this same way. Well, I was raised, you know, in a church where we had to dress up, and I was raised in a church where it used to be you couldn't listen to secular music, and I was raised in a church where you couldn't watch movies and this and that. And that's how it starts off, and then they introduce this kind of new way of doing things. Now, as you notice, I am not wearing a suit right now, but I always talk to people that have that church shirt. I'm like, did wearing a suit kill you? No. If that's the worst thing you had as a kid in your life is you had to dress up every Sunday, thank God you didn't have your dad drunk beating your mom and you having to look for food in the garbage can, right? Because what we're trying to do, what we're trying to do is basically say that Christianity has failed because it was a little strict at times. But listen to me, I would right now, I would make a choice. If it would work, I would make a choice to go back to hymns, no more gospel, nothing because I'm tired of all them cheating on each other. Are you listening? I would go just to hymns right now. I would go back to wearing a suit, no more of any of this casual stuff. And I would go back to me preaching out the King James. If we could get preachers to live holy, get people to stop committing adulteries and live in double lives. But as you can see, I don't think that works. I don't think it works. I don't think dressing up a pig makes it something other than a pig. 
But my point is, I'm so tired of this new Christianity, this new version that's drawing a lot of us in because it is casual, it is cool, it's different than how you were brought up. But at the end of the day, it's producing all types of crazy fruit. So I was raised up by a traditional African-American preacher from the South. If you can tell, that's where I learned how to preach, was in the South under a lot of great black preachers. But my pastor, man, wore a suit everywhere. I'm telling you, the most dressed down I ever saw him, and this is true, when I visited him, he was doing yard work. He only had slacks on and his dress shirt tucked in. That's all he had. He didn't have his tie or his jacket, but that's how he was. His wife, uh, he had passed, and by the way, it wasn't a funeral. It was a home-going party. If you have never been to one of those funerals, you have not lived. I walked in there thinking I was going to tell a sad story about him. Next thing I know, I get the mic, and I'm testifying. God has been so good. We're shouting and jumping, and it was wonderful, wonderful. That's how I want mine to be. Amen. But I worked for him. I served underneath him. And his wife did not look like a pastor's wife. How many know sometimes you can point out a pastor's wife, you know? She comes in, ah, 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 you know, she's got the Dolce and Cabana on. She's just lit up from head to toe. She's got her purse. She's got her heels. She's coming in. There she is. There she is. And it's in all cultures, in all places. You know what I'm saying? Latino church, same thing. Here she comes. Oh, the pastora. There she goes. There she goes. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. I wish I could have my hair like her. You know, and it's in all culture, white culture is the same thing. They dress differently, but it's, it's, it's the best of whatever's in, right? I want to tell you something. My pastor's wife, I don't think she ever wore makeup. Never put on a weave, El Natural, and wore dresses everywhere she went. That's what life was like. Now, listen, when I worked at that church as a youth pastor, I didn't try to change my pastor. I did let him know. I said, here's some ideas. He would tell me yay or nay. But that was not my issue. I don't come out of that experience going, oh, man, Pastor Wade Sutherland, he was the worst. We couldn't do this and that and this and that. You know what I come away from that experience? I say, I met a man of God. I knew somebody that knew how to live holy, how to raise their children right for God, that preached the word of God, that lived it, whose wife enjoyed the things of ministry, wasn't bitter and didn't need a side to have extra purses, but loved serving people to the point she adopted a crack addict's baby and took care of him until he passed away in his later years. Chris, are you listening to me? That's what I got to meet. Now, I understand we don't need to do all of that because I don't think it changes us whether or not we wear a suit or wear clothes, and most of us here today are casual, but I'm so done with the casual mindset affecting our doctrine affecting our lifestyle, and then you talk to these pastors, and then they'll tell you, they know about us. You tell them you go to Metro Praise, they'll be like, your pastor's crazy. But you can say, at least he's married to the same wife after 15 years. Your pastor's a sinner. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I still want to make it to heaven, Lord. I do not want to act like I'm better than anybody. But I do got some comebacks for him because I know most of them. You right? You listening to me? At least my pastor didn't have to take a 60-day sabbatical to get his mind back because he lost it pastoring you guys. I would, listen, I would rather have a ministry this size than to lose my mind doing that or lose my marriage. And then when I talk to these pastors, they always give me the excuses. Well, you know what? Making disciples is hard. Teaching the word is hard. They like illustrations. Nothing wrong with illustrations, but you go there and you think you've walked into the Disney World you know, theme park. My friends can't preach the word anymore without an airplane on stage, them dressing like a pilot, and then they have to tell you what it's like to fly with Jesus. I'm serious. I got a friend right now that has a plane on his mega church stage. It is bigger than my entire stage. It's a plane, and it's, it's an illustration. We're going to get lift off with Jesus. That's the name of the series, lift off with Jesus. His people don't laugh at him like you laughing at him now, but, but that's what he does, and I don't know if he's wore the, the pilot suit yet, but I'm sure that's next week's sermon. Jesus is my pilot. I'm the co-pilot. You know, whatever. Jesus is my co-pilot. However that would go. He's going to come in there with his hat and his little wings, and he's going to talk for 20 minutes about lifting off with Jesus. And they spend half the sermon talking about a plane and how it relates to life. And literally, you could say that same exact sermon in a Mormon church, a Jewish synagogue, and no one would know the difference because it doesn't talk about the gospel. It doesn't talk about being saved from your sins, living holy and keeping God's commands. It's basically just a motivational message. Now that I've lost his friendship, I love you, my brother, if you're watching. 
I do care about you, and I pray for you, and I'll pray more than I make fun of you. But I'm done. I'm done. Somebody say he's done. I'm done with people using their past experiences as an excuse now to throw off the things of God. We got to keep the gifts of the Spirit. Well, if somebody's wrong in the gifts of the Spirit, we work through it like we do here. But we're not throwing away the gifts of the Spirit because you think that's weird now. I've had people tell me that. Well, I bring my Catholic friends to your church and they think we're weird when we speak in tongues. Dude, they literally believe they're eating and drinking Jesus' blood and flesh. And they're telling you the sister speaking in tongues is weird? They have a statue of Jesus on their car. And they talk to the thing or St. Anthony, whoever is there. And we're intimidated by the, let's throw off the gifts of the Spirit because my Catholic neighbor is going to think we're weird. Your Catholic neighbor needs to get dosed in the Holy Ghost. He needs to get filled with the things of God. I'm not throwing that off to fit in. And we need to get serious with the things of God. I know people say all the time, you know, well, I'm just looking for a good church to hang out, get to know people and do all that. And that is fine. I understand that. But church is not just a place for us to hang out. It's us to do the things of God. And if I hear one more person tell me, I'm just doing so much in life, I don't have time for Jesus, I am going to stop and say, Lord, then take it all away so they have time to serve you, Jesus. Make them homeless like one-eyed Willie who said he'll come to church. I'm so tired. We're so busy. We're so busy. We're so busy. The Bible says be busy for the things of God. We, did, we you know we're so busy with our phones and our technology and our jobs, and I'm not trying to make fun of you in that way. I'm just saying if I hear one more person tell me you can't serve God because you're too busy, I'm asking God to take away stuff. Maybe it's time you just go to a one-bedroom apartment, ride your bike to work or ski to work, whatever we do in the winter here, and you start coming to church more, to a life group more, and praying more because you're not looking at serving God as a bondage. Well, I'm going to throw off the chains. And then your neighbors next to you go, I threw off the chains of sexuality. That's why I'm now a lesbian. The world thinks just like that. How many know we shouldn't be like the world? Like if you and the world are in agreement that should be a problem. Like if I find myself in agreement with Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Phil, and Ellen DeGeneres, I go, whoa, what just happened here? Are we talking about something really base like don't kill children? Is that what we're all agreeing upon? Or is there something happening here? Because i got to see how are we all agreeing on this? Very rarely do I agree with them on their worldview and the way to do things because we as Christians are a peculiar people. We are literally aliens to this planet. We are born of the Spirit. We are a heavenly race. Amen? I do believe in two races if you want to get down to it, the God kind of race and everybody else. Amen? We're the kind that get to live forever. We're the kind that get resurrected bodies and get to rule and reign with Christ. I believe this is going to happen one day, and it does for those who serve him. Going down to the end, Vinny, would you come please? How many are blessed today by the word of God? Amen. We're not casting off the things of God. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. I don't know what the next few weeks or months hold for us today, saints. It's scary when you listen to the prophets. I guess World War III is supposed to be happening pretty soon. Have you listened to some of those prophets? They're out there. And I'm not doubting it at all, man. I'm keeping all my options open. I got toilet paper ready. I got some water ready. I got the ammunition. I'm ready. My Jeep, I'm ready to get turned out to the living, walking dead, whatever they call that. I'm going to put spikes on it. I'm ready. Where are we going with this, Jesus? I also just want to go to the park in the next couple of weeks and enjoy my life, go snowboarding a little bit, take a trip to Florida. Like, I'm, I'm good either way, uh, but we do need to take refuge in God because there is no promised safety outside of him. If there is one big lesson that we've learned this entire year through all of the things that have happened, it's that we need to trust God. Amen, sister. We trust God. We come under his wings I don't know how it's going to end on this uh, time frame with America and politics and this city, but I know how the whole thing ends. And it ends with us being with our God, His King, His Son, with the Holy Spirit flowing from the throne of the Father and the Son as a river of life and us enjoying Him forever. I would like to see what happens when we start preaching God's Word, we live by it, 
and we don't let the things around us distract us. Amen? That doesn't mean we just say, well, Jesus is my king. I don't care who else is. No, it does matter who your king or president is now, doesn't it? It does matter who's your alderman. It does. So we're involved. We're, we're paying attention. It does matter who your boss is. It does matter. But ultimately, ultimately, it's Christ as king, and Christ is overall. Amen? Let's stand up together. Can you give it up for God's word one more time? I'm thankful that you're here today. Amen. We're, we choose to obey. We will kiss the son. We will serve him. Let's pray together as the band and altar workers come. Father, we thank you today that today we get to know you and serve you in the times of your mercy. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, he is your king, whether you like it or not, and he will rule over you, whether you like it or not. But today, if you accept him as your king, you get to rule and reign with him. He'll transform your heart, and you will see him not only as a king, but as the lover of your soul, the bright and morning star when everything else is dark, the lily of every valley you walk through, and the shepherd who will never leave you or forsake you. Today, if you don't know Jesus, would you accept him into your heart? Say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me like you. If you're here today, even as I'm praying, and you don't live for Jesus, though you claim Jesus, would you say, Lord, I want to get it right. I want to leave out of here living like you're my king and I'm in your kingdom. For the rest of us, could you stretch up your hands with me and pray for the nations? Would you make this a house of prayer and just say, Lord, come on, save souls today. Those who need prayer that I just mentioned, you guys can come forward. But right now, those of us who are already Christians, we'll dismiss in a moment, but let's pray for nations. I pray for my Hindu neighbors. I pray for my Muslim friend, Saqib. I pray today, God, that we'll be used by you. I pray for the, those in my life who I know are pro-choice, Lord, or uh, believe in different sexual ethics, oh God. Oh Lord, I pray that you save them, that they come to you, that they serve you. Don't let them perish, Jesus. Don't let them perish, God. Give us another day to reach them for the sake of your kingdom, oh God. Just a few moments right now we'll dismiss, but I believe we can change the destiny, the course of people's eternal souls right now. We can see God do a great work throughout this nation and the nations of the world. Why not develop another Bible belt? Why not have another movement of revival through this time? This would be perfect, God. Oh, Lord, we want to be in your, in your will. It would be amazing, God. And if we're doing anything wrong, convict us even as Christians to do it right. A few moments right now. Pray for friends. Pray for neighbors. If you yourself need prayer, come on up. Even if it's for boldness, even if you're shy, or, or maybe you just need some encouragement, we'll pray for you. We'll dismiss, but don't leave out of here without prayer. Don't leave out of here without being changed. Don't leave out of here without being equipped. I want us to sing this song before we go, but I know we need to pray. Just a few more moments. God, use us, use us, use us. Help me to reach my friends, my family. Holidays coming up. Who are you going to see at the Thanksgiving dinner? Pray for them right now if they don't know Jesus. Ask the Lord to use you. Let's not just fight about the things we disagree about. Let's, let's get past some of those things to preach the gospel to them. Right now, the most important need for these people is to get saved. That's what will change their mindset on a lot of other things. Pray for my family to get saved. Pray for my neighbors, oh God. Each one of them are special to me, oh God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, Vivek and Ashta, Lord, let them see you are the way, the truth, and the life. That Buddha, that Krishna is not the way, oh God. Oh, Jesus, I pray for them today that they'll know and love you, oh God. That these young men that I always see when I go to the gym, God, you'll open up doors for me to speak with them, God. Help me to be a witness, God, wherever I go in the name of Jesus. A few more moments. I see God changing our nation. Regardless of presidencies, regardless of politics, God changing our nation through our prayers, through our steadfastness, through our obedience. I don't even remember who was president when I got saved, but I know I got saved November 5th, 1995. Come on, somebody can get saved today. Somebody can get saved this week. Amen. Let's uh, close out singing this song, then we'll dismiss formally. But if you want to come for prayer, come on. 
But let's close out singing this powerful song today. Uh-huh.